In Matthew 4.19, Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Join us in this conversation as we discuss following Jesus, leadership, and doing life with others. Welcome to the 419 Disciple Makers Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of 419 Disciple Makers Podcast. I'm Mark Danzi, your host today, and we are blessed beyond belief to be with my new friend, Chris Henderson. Welcome, Chris. Thank you. Hi, Mark. Glad to have you here. Now, you're a recent transplant to our area uh, from the Dallas, Texas area, I think. Correct. Yep. We moved here in August, uh, just a little distance away from the church here, and it's been a great experience so far. Glad to be here. Well, we're glad that you're here. And uh, the thing that brings you to our podcast today, and I think that our listeners will be blessed by it, is your perspective on disciple-making and kind of your journey. And so uh, tell us a little bit about uh, how you came to know the Lord. Yeah, that's um, an easy question to ask and not an easy one to tell because, <laughs> you know, um, I could uh, I could say that, you know, I was I was raised in a Catholic family, Mark. Okay. I think my story is pretty similar to most folks. Um, but we were very casual family when it comes to going to church. So um, maybe communion and funerals. We weren't even okay. we weren't even Christ, you know Christmas and Easter family. We were funeral and and uh, you know wedding kind of <laughs> churchgoers. But um, I believed um, Jesus was a pretty cool guy when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I used to watch the movies on television with my mom every Easter. You know, the um, Jesus of Nazareth movie yeah. would come on as a miniseries for the week of Easter. And I always thought he was pretty awesome. Um, and we had the pictures of him on our walls. So he must have been like a kissing cousin, distant relative. So <laughs> we knew who he was, but um, kind of a mysterial, mysterious kind of uh, figure in, in my life as a child. Right. Um, Went through all the normal sacraments as a Catholic youth growing up, but um, and where was this that you're growing up? Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Oh, yeah, Louisiana, North Baton Rouge. Okay. Yeah, um, was about the time I went through to high school. You know, I, I went through the confirmation, the first communion, and all those traditional things in the Catholic Church. But in high school, um, my circle of friends were active in our local Catholic church, and uh, my girlfriend at the time was uh, active in the youth group, and so I wanted to be with her, and so I went. To the youth group, yeah, with that's her. a great motivation. It was, it worked. Um, <laughs> there was a man there. Um, he was one of the youth um, counselors, I guess, um, Harold Mack. And I didn't know it at the time what he was doing, but um, he showed an extreme interest in me personally, and he invested a great deal of time, personal time, one on one time, inviting me into his life, coming over to just hang out with me, doing whatever I was doing. Um, I found it quite odd if I'm being honest with you at the time, because I didn't have the language to understand what um, non-romantic love, non-family love might look like. Hmm. And and I found it a little odd, but I went with it because he was a nice guy and we had a good time together. So I often did ask myself what his motivation might be, and I didn't quite understand it at the time. Hmm. But um, that we'll come back to later. Um, So after high school, I... uh, you know, experienced a couple of deaths in our family. My my grandmother, my grandfather, they died, and mm-hmm. we went to their funeral because that's what we did as a church sure. family. Yeah. And um, I found the uh, the ceremony of the Catholic tradition that I was experiencing to be fairly empty and meaningless. It didn't have a lot of application in my life. And um, it seemed to be uh, people going through the motions, mm-hmm. you know, doing what you were supposed to do. Very religious. 
very religious, yeah. And so I, I decided after I went all the way to college that that wasn't for me, and I, I exited. I said, I'm, I'm going to leave the Catholic Church. And um, my buddy Harold that I just told you about was not uh, pleased with that decision. Um, he told me, point blank, I think you're making a mistake. Um, but I thanked him for his opinion and, and moved on. Um, it wasn't until several years later, and I continued to believe in God, Mark. And, you know, God is this distant deity who sometimes invades our reality to let us know what his will is or something in control of various things like most people do culturally. Keep us safe on trips, that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Bless our food. Right, or, you know, take care of our favorite sports team, that kind of thing. <laughs> well, um, you did a pretty good job with your team this year, I think. <laughs> the LSU Tigers. Indeed, yeah, they're still celebrating down there. Um, after we had... Um, kids, though, my wife and I made an intentional decision. Well, we, we didn't actually have kids yet, but we, we, we con- communicated, we, we agreed during our married years before we had children that when we did have children, we think it's important that they grow up in the church. We want them to have a foundation. And she was um, Catholic as well? She grew up in the Methodist church. Oh, okay. And so once we got to the age of deciding we were thinking about starting a family, we said, let's go ahead and get started in church ourselves. And um, I still wasn't real enamored with my Catholic upbringing, and so mm-hmm. I said, let's go experiment with your uh, tradition instead. So we started attending churches, and we did that reasonably faithfully for a few years, and it was fairly the same experience for me, if I'm being honest, mm-hmm. Mark. It just um, the thing that we did, and it was a nice experience. We didn't really build a lot of relationships. We didn't really have a lot of um, transformative experiences that I could point to. But then after our kids were born, we continued that tradition, and um, we ultimately moved to the Dallas-Fort Worth area and um, found ourselves in a church community for a long period of time. And the more that our kids grew in the tradition, the more we experienced their lives um, and the learning that they were receiving and the way that our church community was investing in our family and the connections that we were establishing in small groups like Bible study and so on, the more we started to experience church a little differently. I can't tell you how many people have shared their story of faith and it started with watching their children. They took their children back to church because it would be good for the children. <laughs> and the Lord loves us so much, he'll even get to us through our kids, right? <laughs> he, he does often. Yeah. <laughs> and and it's, it's, a, it's a remarkable and, and um, thankful um, strategy that he uses. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that he does pull us towards him through other people, and he uses our own children to do that, right? Absolutely. So, so our kids started to grow, um, and, and we started to grow alongside of them. And um, I got involved in a couple of relationships with some men who were, <clears throat> we were meeting regularly um, in an accountability group. So there was a... a That's quite a jump, though, to go from nominally being a member to jumping into it. How did that happen that you got into an accountability group? So we, um, when my daughter, who is our oldest, attended the confirmation program at our church, um, there was a companion program for the parents that were going through the same yeah. curriculum, the same you know time period, and it was a year-long confirmation process. And um, we started to form some relationships with some of the folks we were attending with as parents who had okay. kids in the same age and stage and experiencing the same thing. And I was fortunate that the leader of that group, um, that confirmation companions group, is a really upfront and devoted Christian who had been discipled for years in that same congregation by another gentleman. Mm. And and he would just make plain statements like, if Jesus is not the number one priority in your life, then what are you doing here? And let's have a conversation about that. And so he would ask 
challenging questions like that that would make me sort of reevaluate some things. Mm-hmm. And we grew with some relationships um, with those folks and um, built some friendships through that small group time, um, which led into us, you know, agreeing to maybe meet regularly after that companion class kind of uh, wrapped up. Um, so that companion, the adult confirmation, so to speak, while your kids are going through confirmation, um, really on-ramped you into uh, what a discipleship group really is, right? It did. And there were some folks who started a covenant disciple group um, in our congregation around that same time. And coincidentally, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> uh, one of the men who was in that uh, confirmation companions class was also in that covenant disciple group. And we oh, started okay. to share stories about our children and about our lives. And he later confessed you know, that he was surprised, much like what you and I were talking recently I'm surprised to hear that there were so many shared experiences, that uh, struggles that we had, doubts that we had as men, um, difficulties that we were experiencing in our work or our family lives were common. And so it started to open our eyes a little bit. And so we formed deeper relationships and we decided to continue that. We met as a group, uh, me and uh, two of those other men, for five or six years every every day. Not every day, every week on Monday evenings. to uh, share life, share struggles, share uh, celebrations, understand mm-hmm. who we were in, in Christ. Now, th- to this point for you, is this kind of the deepest spiritual experience you've had? Absolutely. Being with these guys? Yeah, absolutely. But it started to it started to run a little shallow, a little dry. We started to have some sort of the same conversations over and over again where um, we were experiencing the same challenges that we weren't really able to get past. You know, we were, we were running short on our ability to advise each other and fix each other's problems. <laughs> so um, we decided to take a little bit of a break from that. But in, in the meantime, while I was still meeting with those guys, they sponsored me to a walk to Emmaus, and that became a meaningful experience for me. I remember waking up for six months nonstop with a smile on my face, which is very unusual for me. Right, So just <laughs> understanding that there's... I walked to Emmaus uh, being a spiritual retreat that men go on for it's like 72 hours, I think. And you, you obviously had a deep spiritual encounter there, huh? I did, yeah. And there, it, it's, um, I didn't know I needed it at the time. And mm-hmm. um, but it's described as a short course in Christianity over a seventy-two hour sort of concentrated period where mm-hmm. you're in a sequestered environment, you and a uh, number of other men, and um, focused on um, who 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 God is, who Jesus is, who the Holy Spirit is, and how the other people in the communities have experienced um, Him uh, in their normal lives. So really meaningful, uh, powerful experience for me, which sort of spring-loaded me into a spiritual journey that um, I was then able to look back on my life, Mark, and see that um, God had actually been wooing me all along. Mm -hmm. And I'd been sort of like a child ignorant of it, dancing around and doing my own little thing, (laughs) uh, unaware that he was there navigating in the life of this man, Harold, in the youth group and uh, the girlfriend that I had in the youth group. And the that benefit of hindsight, right? Absolutely. The way and the time that I met my wife, the decisions that we made to move into church and to have children, and I can see him um, loving me all along the way. And the number one thing that I learned from that Emmaus experience that I took away from it is that I was expecting love to look a certain way. And I mentioned that in my reference to Harold. Yeah. I was expecting love to look like it does on television and movies. And I was unable to recognize all the other colors and facets of love that were coming my way. And so I was flat missing a a huge number of blessings and um, affection that my wife gave me, that my friends and family were giving me, and I just couldn't receive and accept, right? Wow. So that was my number one um, 
I think, lesson coming from the walk to Emmaus. You know, you mentioned that walk to Emmaus, and I'm thinking about, um, it's in the Gospel of Luke, when the two are walking back to the village of Emmaus, right? And Jesus appears, but they don't know it's him. And they're continuing to walk. Some people think it's two men. Um, I tend to think it's a husband and wife couple, honestly. Um, and then they invite Jesus to come inside their house. And when they, he does, their the Bible says their eyes were opened when he broke the bread. Yeah, you know, I always think about that. About was it the way he broke it? What did they see the nail wounds in his hands when he broke it? You know, what what did they see? But he immediately leaves, and they were changed forever. Right. And what changed them was looking back, oh my goodness, this whole time he's been walking with us. And I think that's so many people's story, their testimony. They didn't have a Damascus Road experience. They didn't have a date, time, and place. I do, and others like me do, but it's usually the more stubborn people that have that. (laughs) Others look back and go, well, he was walking with me all along. Amen. And it's a huge comfort to know that even the people who are physically in Jesus' presence, visually, and could touch him, could hear him, could smell him, had a difficulty understanding who he is and recognizing it, right? And so... I can that, that can be freeing for me because I can I can let myself a bit off the hook where I might need a little time to recognize <laughs> where Jesus is moving in my own life, right? I've never thought about it like that, but you're exactly right. So, um, leading Sunday school classes with these friends, experiencing transformation in the Methodist traditions, um, really enjoying um, a spiritual growth um, for you know 15 or 17 years or so that we're in the church, um, begin to feel a need to or an urge to. Um, um, be a part of that lead and that, that leadership or that cultivation, that growth for other people. Where do I fit in? You know, mm. you've brought me this far. What is it that I um, can do to return on on that investment? And I, I began praying about that and and looking and observing. And leading a Sunday school class was a great experience for me, but it was it also sort of ran its course. And now I would use language to say that the grace kind of ran out on that time in my life. Um, God you know, put me in a position to that I could lead a class so that I could learn a little bit about myself, learn a little bit about that kind of tradition. But I, I started to notice that our group, while we were together for five or six years, um, we too started to st- what I would call stagnate, right? We mm-hmm. were sort of still swirling around the same topics. We were still asking the same questions. We were still struggling with the same issues. And we weren't really growing past them. And so mm-hmm. I started to sort of notice that, scratch my head a little bit, and wonder if there wasn't something else um, for mature Christians to continue their growth, to get past those sort of um, getting stuck kind of moments. One of my, one of my friends, Mary, um, she said that when you know she had just gone to church and Sunday school for so many years because that's all that she knew, and then she got into uh, this concept of a discipleship and disciple-making group, and her definition of what she had experienced before was she said, discipleship brought me out from merit— for 20 years, I marinated in the scriptures. <laughs> and some might say, well, marinating in the scriptures is great. Well, it is. It It's just not all that there is. And uh, I always think about how she said that because I never want to give the opinion that Sunday schools aren't great and walk to Emmaus's aren't great. They are. And they're in my history, too, my story. But there does come this time in our life that, where God's calling us out into the deep, into the deeper. And it sounds like it's exactly what was happening with you. 
Yeah, and I think there was a cycle of that for me, and and I thought um, maybe I maybe I lobbed some criticisms in my spirit. You know, I was grumbling in the spirit at the situation that I found myself in, the culture or the way we were doing things, and I thought maybe the way was wrong. But maybe now looking back again with some hindsight, I can see that um, I was growing and and being called out into other more mm-hmm. you know deeper waters. Right. So um so so my. The question you asked was, how did I come to know Jesus? And it was a really long journey where he's always been there, but I didn't always understand who he is, and I didn't always understand um, that he's real and that he's present. Hmm. And so I'm still on that journey. <laughs> and um, at this point um, of, of my, uh, you know, the recent past that I'm ca- recounting for you, um, I started to research, what, what else could I do? What, what could I how could I grow? How could I serve the congregation? How could I lead Christians who had already decided that they believe in Jesus, but find deeper waters? And you mentioned the word discipleship, and I started to see that in um, conversations coming up about eight years ago when I was going through this experience. So I started researching what that meant, um, and I found some resources. I found some tools. I found some organizations who are willing to coach and to invite you into a discipling relationship. And so I jumped in on um, on that concept and um, had the fortune of meeting in that process a man named Matt Tebby, who was a discipling coach who mm. led me in about a 12 to 18 month process of weekly meetings, um, building a language um, to help me grab hold of what Jesus might be doing in real time today. Mm. So you talked about the walk to Emmaus and the disciples who could stand there and touch him and see him and hear him. And we hear Jesus in scripture over and over and over again say, follow me, follow me. So reading that, we can sort of contextualize that he must have been talking to those folks who are immediately in his presence. Mm. What does that mean for me today, 2,000 years removed? I'm not physically in his presence, but I've come to know since that the Holy Spirit too is real. He promised to send his counselor Mm -hmm. and that if we have the ears to hear and the eyes to see and we have the ability to recognize how he communicates and influences our everyday situations, then we actually can follow Jesus practically today. And Matt Tebby taught me that. For more information, check out our website, 419disciplemakers.org. Join us again next week as we continue our conversation on the 419 Disciple Makers podcast.